0: Please turn with me to page 736 in the Church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 13. Look with me, it says this. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth, burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. I'm going to tell you a few stories about myself this morning, starting with a little bit of a confession. Occasionally, I can be the rebellious sort, in a nice way. <laughs> and when somebody tells me to do things, <laughs> he's laughing, um, I can sometimes ask why. So when I read this passage and decided this was the one to preach on. I read verse 13. I thought, why? As you listen to the passage, which is absolutely wonderfully read by Mark, there's two characteristics um, of God that will come out in this passage. The characteristics of compassion and restoration. What is compassion and what is restoration? Right, story time. Here we go. Halfway through February, I had cause to take Isaac into A&E. This is our third visit to AE. The second visit was actually the last time I was preaching in the morning service. But there we are. Um, in a and I was sat, as I often did, and um, as you know, I used to be a police officer, and I would spend a lot of my time sat in A&E. And I thought the same thing this time as every other time. You look around, and there's... Doctors, nurses, paramedics, GPs, and I just look at the responsibility that these people have to alleviate suffering in people who've had some kind of misfortune with the possibility of no success and and complaint and doing it with a very sincere sympathy. I'm just struck at that profession and that quality, which I would describe as compassion. And A dictionary definition of compassion is this. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate suffering. What then is restoration? Sticking with the same theme, um, Isaac and I went out to um, a bowling alley recently, and he, he likes, I shouldn't have missed, he likes being on those 2P machines that you get in the, bowl, in the bowling alleys. So I gave him some 2Ps. Two, he ran off. And I thought, right, now, this is the time, I'm going to give him a bit of extra rope. He's nearly three, he can go and enjoy himself, so he's, he's ran off. So I kind of nonchalantly walk round the corner and get ready to do the thing you do and, and jump out, you know, here I am. And I jump round and he's gone, and he's not there. <laughs> I experienced that time that comes probably to every parent when your child is technically missing Jenny's gone off to the toilet. She knows nothing about what's gone on. (laughs) And (laughs) I promise you, there is no word or definition in the dictionary or there is no Greek and there is no Hebrew that can do justice to that experience which I had for around one minute. But when, just before Jennifer got back, when he ran around one of the two P machines where he'd actually gone missing to, and he was back with me, I can tell you, I knew what restoration meant then. Well, that's very clever, Andy, I hear you say. Um, but just answer the question you've asked us. Why can I rejoice this morning? This Mothering Sunday, we will bring an unmeasurable variation of experiences on motherhood. Some will be mothers. Some will not be, yet wish to be. Some in full or in part will not have known earthly motherhood or compassion. And some will be in awe at their mothers. And that is a cause for rejoicing this morning. But here is a compassionate and a restoring God speaking to his people in captivity in this passage and in darkness. And he offers three truths answering the question, why can I rejoice? One, Rejoice as you see the bigger picture. It is difficult for some of us this morning to answer that call to rejoice and sing. It was for God's people who were in exile at this time, around 700 BC. The nation of Judah were in exile. Having been divided from the nation of Israel, placed into captivity by the Babylonians, we now know that period of exile lasted around 70 years. And from exile... And in answer to God's direction to rejoice, um, look at verse 14 with me. Um, Mark read this fantastically well. And it was a really long passage. And I love Mark reading. He's my absolute favourite. You're not allowed favourites, really. Um, But I want that to be be read out again. Verse 14. I'm going to ask somebody else to do it so Mark's voice can have a rest. Um, Matt Morland, my good friend, sat behind Alan, is a lecturer at the UEA. And um, in our conversations, he's very um, gifted and skilled in capturing the emotion behind um, reading the Bible. I'm not building this up too much, mate, No. <laughs> I'm going to ask him to read out verse 14 for me. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God, who knew the hearts of his people, replied with his plan for salvation, explaining, you need to see the bigger picture. God has something to say to his people in exile about this. God is dealing with the whole world through this. And God is reaching out today to you through this. The passage in Isaiah is called the second servant song. Verse 1 to 4 sees God delivering this message through the servant who is announcing the nature of his identity – although not completely disclosing who he is. Why the need for the servant? And the answer is to open up to them, and us, the big picture of God's compassion and restoration. Verse 5, the servant is promising to deliver Jacob, meaning God's people, back to himself. God's changed Jacob's name to Israel, and this reference is about the whole of God's chosen people. But look at how God delivers this promise. He's reminding his exiled people that while they're complaining about being forgotten, there is a whole world out there. Look at verse 6 of me, it says this. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. ...that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. One commentator suggests healing begins... ...when we stop focusing on ourselves... ...and our arguments with God... ...and start looking outward to the world that he loves... ...and that needs to know about him. How do we know God? is telling them to widen their scope. God explains his big picture in a cultural reference... ...that's got an eternal meaning. Verse 12, look with me. It says, people will return from the north... Some from the west, some from the region of Aswan, sometimes called Sinim. It means a far off place. God's people are no stranger to being in captivity and darkness. But God has announced his plan for salvation, which is bigger than just an immediate fix to the current problem of exile. We can sometimes miss the grandness of God's plan. I've helped Isaac this morning tell his mum that he loves her prop time. This is Isaac's card for Jenny this morning. Do you want me to read it out? then. Dear Mummy, I love you. Thank you for being my mummy. And Isaac wanted to say, thank you for mummy, amen. There we are, love from Isaac. That's his card this morning. Good boy. Sometimes, when when answering that call to rejoice, I am guilty of... Of rejoicing in a very—I don't know—an earthy amount, really. Um, Adam Moore, who leads our twenties and thirties, accused me a while back of saying, "If you if you really are rejoicing, you really need to find a way for your heart to tell your face." <laughs> that is harsh. Do you know what, though? The grandness of God's big picture, it warrants rejoicing, which no card can do justice for the rest of this sermon. I'm going to leave this one here. Did anybody get one of these this morning? Good. Two. Rejoicing God's chosen servant. Having explained this call from those from faraway lands and in making the connection between the physical meaning of this and the eternal, we must now ask... What is this passage saying to the whole world? And at this stage, we now need to answer, who is this servant? Verse 1 refers to him by name, but with no direct disclosure, although it does suggest what kind of person he'll be. servant introduces himself in a prophetic tone, very similar to that of Jeremiah, from being called before being born. But before we're tempted to write this servant off as a mere human being, we should observe in verse 3. God calls a servant Israel, not referring to his people in exile, but calling the servant the name that embodies everything God's people should be. He's described as a polished arrow in God's quiver, whom he is waiting to fire into the world. God is explaining to the world, through his servant Jesus, his plan for the restoration of his people. I'm going to try and answer why he doesn't just say, woohoo, it's me, God speaking, in Jesus through Isaiah. You're a bit confused, but it's a big picture thing. I used to interview people. And before an interview, it's my job to give a solicitor a disclosure, which is a carefully selected amount of information for the purposes of establishing the truth in interview. Any CPS solicitors will now be wanting to have their input. Um, but this carefully selected disclosure... It proclaims the truth of who Jesus is, named before birth, mouth like a sword, hidden until God's appointed time. Ministry that appeared to have laboured in vain, fired like an arrow into the world at God's appointed time. We can rejoice this morning in God's chosen servant, Jesus Christ. There's lots of references in this, pa- in this passage as you go throughout to children. I'm one of four. Um, when I catch it with my mum at these times of year she'll tell me all kind of stories about how I don't know Michael would be off making a mess Helen's being independent trying to break out Um, my twin brother James was probably up to something fairly rum and my trick was to kind of perform the great train robbery on the biscuit tin and she'd just say things like I just can't do three things at once well God can and he does God is speaking in this passage to exiled Judah. He is announcing his plan for salvation to the whole world, and he's speaking to you today. Number three, rejoice as those released from captivity. What's God saying to me? Now, I'm not the, I lead worship, but I'm not the overly happy, clappy sort. But when Isaac came from around the back of that 2P machine, I can tell you, and he wasn't missing anymore. I knew what restoration was. I knew what rejoicing was. You might never have thought about what it is for God to redeem his people, really. Maybe it's mystery to you. Maybe it's some head knowledge that you've just known. Maybe it's a distant thought that you relate more with people you see around you than yourself. This morning I want to remind you that because God who seeks to save his people is compassionate, we can rejoice as those released from captivity. Maybe you just can't see it. Maybe the circumstances of your life can only lead you to reply, I can't see God in my life or in my experiences of motherhood. Remember, that's how God's people felt. Verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. But God's, God replies to his people. And in verse 15, he says this, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? God can no more forget about you than a mother her newborn baby. And God continues. Though she may forget, no mum's perfect. My mum, um, she forgot me and my brother at the age of zero. She left us um, down the local spa And went home. And she had to come running back and get us. Um, it, It continues and God says this. I will never forget you. See I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. God's big picture is compassion shown to the whole world through Jesus Christ. And his victory in releasing you from captivity is this morning our reason to rejoice. To those here this morning who would consider themselves to be non-Christian, firstly, you're welcome. Good morning. This passage is explaining something to you as well. It says that there is nowhere you can go, no sin you can commit, and no lifestyle that you can adopt that has prevented God from raising up a way back to himself. God here, he communicates motherly compassion to the whole of creation through Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think Mother in Sunday is, it was described as my esteemed colleague as a risky gig. There's a lot of hurt that exists around this subject, as well as a lot of rejoicing. Sometimes we can be like Israel, too despondent to grasp the fullness of God's salvation. And if this is you this morning and you can't rejoice... If you're in the captivity of a bad experience, verse 9, come out. If you're in the darkness of a life that hasn't known motherly compassion, verse 9, be free. Come out and be free to rejoice in the motherhood of God. That is compassion shown through Jesus Christ. For our salvation. I will um, tell my mum later on. That I love her. She's a Christian. She's an evangelical. She knows a Bible. Reads it every day. Um, and she's been the greatest example to me of compassion. She would say that she believes and can rejoice in the God of her salvation. And she will be doing that somewhere this morning. But she's... Lost my grandma who died a long time ago. And whilst I told you that I am one of four, I am actually one of five. But this morning she will be rejoicing. The celebration of Mothering Sunday isn't for the few, it's for the many who believe in Jesus Christ, in whom we can rejoice. As salvation to the whole world. And before this lectern completely hits the floor, we shall finish with a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are God's chosen servant who has made salvation available to the whole world. bit of history in 1861 you gave us this building in which to rejoice, it's also the year that hymns ancient and modern published this fantastic hymn to finish that says, O come O come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the son of God appear rejoice, rejoice Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel Amen